Let us pray. Oh Lord, we, we don't come to this activity that we're about to do lightly. We have the privilege of having a copy of, of your holy word. And we, we humbly open it to, to read it and to hear the, the message that you would have us to hear. We pray for the message that's been prepa- prepared, that it would um, fall on unlistening and understanding ears, and that you would uh, enable us, that your Holy Spirit would um, apply it to our hearts and lives. So Lord, be with all of us and grant us what we stand in need of and, and bless us richly that we may be blessed by your word and may you be blessed by the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open our Bibles to Second Peter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, page 1,893 in this Bible. So we're going to read again the, the, the first four verses and then we'll keep going um, beyond that for, the, for this afternoon. Second Peter 1, beginning at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. 
Thus far the reading of God's word. When someone is about to die, whether he's a, a family member, a, a friend, or someone you, you look up to, what do you do when he invites you to, to be part of a small gathering of people to, to listen to what he has to say? Well, you, you go to his bedside and, and listen very carefully to his last words of instruction, correction, and encouragement. A person's last words before he dies are especially important. Peter was going to die soon, perhaps days or, or, or weeks after Second Peter was written. Peter emphasizes the importance of his words in verses 12 to 15. I will always remind you of these things. I think it is right to refresh your memory. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And these things refer to the instructions he gave to us in today's text. You might even wonder, what will, what will the preacher's last words be before he leaves? I, I know in, in Peter's case, God was the primary author, and that this is God's message to his people. In my case, the, the prayer is, is the same, that, that you would hear God's voice and message. But as, all, as always, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as well. Lately, I've been really convicted of, about the need to grow in my faith and in the knowledge of God. I want to become more godly. How are you doing in your walk with God? Are you growing? My prayer is that this message will convict and encourage us to grow. In fact, a, a Christian that is not growing is an untruth. It's like, a, it's like saying a, a dairy, farm, dairy farmer that's not milking his cows or an, an electrician that's not doing the electrical work but is instead doing the plumbing. A Christian, by definition, is always growing or, or diligently applying effort to grow in his or her faith. So as Christians, we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our faith. Second Peter uh, 1 verse 10 says, Make every effort to be sure of your calling and election. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. I believe that there are many in the world who think they are Christians, but really they are not. So this afternoon we're, we're going to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. But we're also going to see the, the necessity of growing in our faith. This morning, we learn that we cannot contribute anything to our salvation. But now that we've been saved, we must do something. Not to, to keep or, or add to our salvation, but, but to prove our salvation. As verse 10 tells us, we must grow in our relationship with God. As, as verse 5 says, we must add to our faith. So verse 5 begins with, for this very reason. For this very reason. These words point back to verses 1 to 4, which we looked at this morning. 
We learned about all the, the blessings and, and privileges that we receive from God, the, the gift of faith. We cannot be indifferent to this gift of faith. Such an abundance that we receive from God, from the faith that he gives us. How dare we not respond? We must become totally dedicated and, and give our lives over to God and add to our faith. In fact, we must make every effort to add to our faith. Verse 3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has equipped us. In order to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world, we cannot remain stagnant. You might be thinking, hey, doesn't this sound a little like legalism? Should a Christian have to apply all this effort and work? And if you're thinking about salvation, you're right. A person should not be focusing on adhering to laws or good works in order to earn salvation. We have already established that salvation is a gift from God. We cannot earn it. But once we become a Christian, we have not graduated. We have not reached our our spiritual destination. Yes, our salvation is complete, but our life of sanctification has just begun. We are called to grow. We are called to to change and, and become like Christ. The book of James in chapter 2 explains very clearly about the the need for our works to prove our faith. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Paul in Philippians 2.12 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So the life of a Christian is not passive. It is active. It is a life of growing fruit. It is, it is the pursuit of God, the pursuit of holiness and godliness. Beware, brothers and sisters. I think our def- default is to be passive. It is easy to receive the gift of faith and think, okay, now I'm good. And then coast through life as, as if nothing has changed. God doesn't want lukewarm Christians He wants Christians who are on fire for him, for his word, and who are actively pursuing Christ to change and be like him. We need to be Christians who build on our foundation of faith. God has given us everything we need, everything necessary to grow in godliness. So now let's focus on our text. Make every effort to add. The word word for for effort or add is, is diligence. And even conveys the idea of haste. In other words, when God calls a person, he wants him to put every possible effort to obey this divine call and do it without delay. The word that means to add is a significant word, for it means to to supply lavishly, not sparingly. So we are to add, add lavishly to our salvation. So the first link, and if you think of it sort of as a a link of, or chain links, the first link in the chain of Christian growth is faith. Our salvation and our sanctification is based on faith. And indeed, the seven qualities that follow are grounded and rooted in faith. Faith as the first quality instructs us to trust in our Lord and Savior. 
when we totally rely on God and his promises, we live in a totally new way compared to our lives before God worked in our lives. Our gift of faith and our growth in faith supplies the building blocks for what follows. So secondly, we add to our faith goodness. Goodness is, is an attribute of God. As we become more, uh, more and more partakers of the divine nature, we need to strive to become like him, like Jesus. The word goodness could also be translated as moral excellence. And it's the same word used at the end of verse 3. It is the means by which God called his children. God called us by and to his goodness, and he calls us to practice a life of goodness and moral excellence. Are we obedient to God's commands? Are we being good to the people in our lives? Do we continue to be people of noble character, even when our work environment requires us to be around people that do not display moral excellence or moral goodness? Third, we are called to add to our goodness knowledge. Knowledge means understanding, correct insight, truth properly applied. The virtue implies a, a diligent study and pursuit in the truth, uh, of truth in the word of God. Remember that knowledge is a, is a key word in Second Peter. Indeed, the, the book commands its readers to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. For a plant to grow, it needs water and nutrients and light. We too cannot grow unless we feed ourselves, feed ourselves with God's truth. We need to feed ourselves continually with truth and knowledge that comes from the Bible. This is so important. Second Peter 2 is all about false teaching and false teachers. Knowledge is a key word in Second Peter because Peter was instructing God's people to watch out from false teaching by staying and feeding on God's word. The way to avoid false teaching is to know the truth so that we can discern false teaching. And the only way to grow in the knowledge of God is by feeding on his word. We also need to add to knowledge self-control. Self-control is also part of the, the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5. Self-control was a term used for athletes. And thus it generally refers to being controlled, restrained, and disciplined with one's body. The Christian is to control his or her sinful passions and desires rather than allowing oneself to be controlled by them. We must practice self-control by relying fully and completely on God. We should keep in mind that these eight qualities of the Christian's life of growth are connected to one another. One commentator wrote it this way, moral excellence or goodness guided by knowledge disciplines desire and makes it the servant, not the master of one's life. In other words, goodness and knowledge inform and make possible self-control. False teachers, for example, who lacked knowledge also lacked self-control. Chapter 2 goes into great description about them. Um, they are char characterized by sensuality in chapter 2, verse 2, inflamed by sinful desires, verse 10. They carouse in broad daylight, 
verse 13. They never cease thinking of, ad of a, uh, adultery, verse 14. And they're enslaved to corruption, verse 19. Fifth, we need to add to self-control perseverance. Perseverance or endurance is a common characteristic of believers described in the New Testament. In the context of 2 Peter, the opponents, the, the false teachers, were threatening the church, attracting others to follow them. Perseverance is self-control for the long haul. Perseverance originates in faith because the, believers, the believer knows that God is in complete control of every situation. It includes practicing moral excellence. It is grounded in knowledge and it exercises self-restraint discipline for the long haul. Perseverance is doing what is right, never giving in temptation or to trial. It is the spiritual stain power that will die before it gives in. It will endure in difficult times, and it always maintains hope. Sixth, we must add to perseverance godliness. This is the same word used in verse 3. We learned in verse 3 that we've already been given everything we need for godliness, and yet we must seek and pursue godliness. Godliness is, a, is, is to live reverently, loyally, and obediently toward God. A Christian practices godliness when he's fully conscious of God's presence in every circumstance. It is living before the face of God or in the presence of God, and it refers to living a life like God. Seventh, we need to add to godliness brotherly kindness. The word is Philadelphia, which describes our relationship between fellow believers. With this word, we are exhorted to love one another. Brotherly kindness requires us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and be devoted to them. 1 Peter 1 verse 22 calls us to love one, one another deeply from the heart. We are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are called to love one another deeply. And this includes all our brothers and sisters in Christ beyond these walls. What do you, brothers and sisters, need to, need to do in order to express brotherly kindness? Who in the church needs your kindness, your care and love? And finally, the chain climaxes with Christian love, agape love, the supreme evidence that one is a believer. Paul said love is the goal of Christian instruction. He says in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Corinthians 13 describes love as the most excellent way even greater than faith and, and hope. It heads the list of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. It is the virtue that sums up all other virtues, says Colossians 3.14. So if you truly have love, then you will possess all the other qualities in the chain. The false teachers were lacking in faith and love and hence were not genuine believers. Love is a, a, a virtue, not, not an emotion. Christians are to be active 
in their love toward others. Thus, Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about what love does and how it acts, not how it feels. Love comes from God, and we are called to love other human beings. In fact, the summary of the law is love. First, love God. Second, love people. And then the last four verses in our text contain some some strong words of promise. Verses uh, 8 to 12, 8 to 11. Verse 8 says that if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they, the, the eight virtues, will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to say this is when the virtues both exist and abound in believers, the believers are effective and fruitful in their knowledge of Christ. Having these virtues will make you effective and productive in God's kingdom and in your relationship with Christ and with other people. Verse 9 elaborates on verse 8. It tells us that those who do not practice the virtues of Christian growth are like blind people. They cannot, blind people cannot truly discern their spiritual condition, and they cannot be sure of their salvation. These people are behaving like unconverted people. It could be that their, their faith is not a real faith, if these qualities described in verses 5 to 7 are not evident in their lives. On the other hand, they could also have received the gift of faith, but are living lives of error because they are not growing in their faith and are instead living like unbelievers. Thus, it would be hard for them to be assured of their salvation. This is where verse 10 comes in. Be all the more eager to make your calling an election sure. In light of verses 8 to 9, we can see how important it is to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. We are called without delay, to regularly, actively, with great effort, test and examine our faith. Christianity is never passive. The proof of our faith is in our lives. The proof is in the fruit. God wants his people to be assured of their salvation. And we can, we can have that assurance. We can be assured in, in three ways, says theologian R.C. Sproul. We can examine our own hearts to see if we have a genuine love for Jesus. Are we following him? Do we live for him? Secondly, our text tells us that we must examine the fruit of our faith. Do you, do we have evidence of the fruit of obedience and godliness in our lives? And thirdly, We seek assurance from the word of God through which the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are his children, as Romans 8 talks about. When we have the fruit, when we have the proof of the fruit, when we see the evidence of godly living in our lives, then we have two promises. And and, and remember that this godly living is not just doing empty good works. It, It begins with with faith in Jesus Christ. It is grounded in that. And it is linked to, to the other qualities of Christian growth. So, so the first promise 
is described in verse 10, is that if we practice these qualities, we will never fall. The Greek is as emphatic as possible. It, it is in fact saying, for if you do these things, you will most certainly never, ever fall. It doesn't mean that the Christian faith will always be easy, but it means that we can have full assurance of our salvation, of our security with God. When you practice these qualities, when you see the fruit, your future is guaranteed and you won't fall. So here's, here's the second promise. God promises a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we have true faith, we, we can await Jesus' return when he will make all things new. We will join him in his kingdom when we put our faith in Jesus and live out our faith. So Second Peter joins the rest of Scripture. People can know and have full confidence that they are saved. Those who live, in, who live lives of constant disobedience, who produce no real fruit from the chains of Christian growth, are not really Christians at all. They reveal their, their true allegiance by their disobedience. Second Peter shows that believers confirm their calling and election by practicing, practicing these qualities described in verses 5 to 7. And remember, these qualities do not earn our salvation. They confirm our calling from God. So I ask again, brothers and sisters, do you see the fruit in your life? Do you see the qualities described in verses 5 to 7? It doesn't mean that you need all eight qualities to the fullest measure perfectly. This won't happen until Christ perfects us when we enter into eternity with him. But do you have the desire to grow in your faith? Is it happening? If not, it's not too late. It's not too late to, to put legs onto your faith. You can begin today living as a forgiven person and start living out your faith. God calls you to grow in your faith. Verse 3 told us that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness, which brings us to our last point. We cannot forget that God is the one who supplies our every need. He has not only given us our gift of faith, he has also enabled us to grow in our faith. We do have to be working diligently to grow in our faith. However, God does not leave us alone. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He is at work in our sanctification. The Holy Spirit worked alone in our salvation, but in our sanctification, we are called to work in cooperation together with the Holy Spirit. He is the one, ultimately, that ensures and enables us to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus who, of course, has each of these eight qualities to the fullest measure. This process of sanctification, the partnership between, between the Holy Spirit and we believers, lasts our entire lifetime. Together, we work with the Holy Spirit, growing in our faith, changing more and more into Christ's likeness. Earlier, I quoted Philippians 2.12, where it says that we need to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But verse 13 reminds us that it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. 
In Philippians 1.6, it says that God who began a work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will not leave us alone in our faith walk. God called you to be his child. Your calling and your spiritual growth is rooted in what God has done, is doing, and will do. May all of us continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to us now and assure us of our salvation. Lord, we know that we, are, we have so much more growing to do. But Lord, may we not lose heart. May we seek you with all of our heart. May we pursue you and may we find you. And Lord, encourage us and convict us to grow in our faith, to not remain stagnant. Lord, you have done so much for us. May we show with our fruit, with our works, that we are thankful for what you have done. And through that, too, may you assure us of our salvation. Lord, and give us joy and peace as we walk with you. You are our God, and we are your children. And it's only by Jesus' name we pray. Amen.